Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. In previous chapters we learned how um, Hashem and His ten sefirot, the ten divine attributes, are one and, and inseparable. First he explained the difficulty of describing the ten sefirot as the divine attributes. To call wisdom an attribute of God, God is so remote and so removed and so transcendent from wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, compassion, strength, judgment. Uh, you know, all of these uh, defined attributes, it's difficult to refer to them as divine attributes. They're more like tools. God uses them as his tools. But an attribute is something very, very personal. Like you, no one would say that the hammer is your attribute. The hammer is your tool. You're, you and the hammer, no connection between you and the hammer. The hammer is not part of you. The hammer is a tool. So to God, wisdom, which is the highest level, is also merely a tool. You can't, to call God, uh, wisdom as an attribute, a divine attribute of wisdom, is something that's very difficult for us to comprehend, to understand, because how can you call wisdom an attribute? An attribute of God. But nevertheless, this is the mystery of faith, that we know that God has the ability and God has emanated from within himself these ten attributes. And these ten attributes are inseparable from God. And he explained, using the analogy of the light and the sun in comparison to the sun. When does light begin? Light begins outside the sun. When the light is within the sun, there is no existence, there's no name, there's no light. All there is is the sun. Of course there's light there. You can't give what you don't have. If the sun can give off light, it's only because the sun has light. But you don't detect any light within the sun. Within the sun, all you can detect is the sun. So the sun, the light is totally unified within its source. All there is is the source. It's there, but it's not there. That's why the Kabbalists refer to the ten attributes, the ten sefirot, as lights. To use a, 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 a physical analogy, just like a light is totally united with its source, it doesn't exist as a separate entity from the sun, the orb, so too the ten sefirot are inseparable from God. So that within God, you can't find wisdom. Where's wisdom? Where's understanding? Where's knowledge? You can't find it. There's no dis differentiation. There's no distinction. It's inseparable. It's part of all there is is God. All, you, all there is is the essence of God, which is undefined and infinite. And you can't really find wisdom per se, or understanding per se, or knowledge per se. Just to use a physical analogy, it's like, in, like looking at the ocean. Looking at a drop of the ocean. While the drop of the ocean is in the ocean... Where do you find the drop? You can't find that drop. You can't separate that drop. All you see is the ocean. The drop is part of the whole picture. You can't even find the drop. Where's the drop? What drop? When? You don't notice it. It's there, but it's not. It's, it's, the whole is... You look at the bigger picture. You look at the forest. You don't see the tree. So it's all, it's all there, but, but you don't notice a tree. It's not distinguished. You don't notice a drop. You don't notice the forest. The wisdom, understanding, knowledge. It's, it's, all part of, it's all part of a whole. It's part of Hashem. It's only in relationship to us when God starts creating our world, which is very distinguished and pluralistic and defined, and, and um, then you're there, you can 
start relating to God's attribute of wisdom, God's attribute of mercy, God's attribute of kindness, of justice, of strength. It's only there in relation to that that the attributes become distinct and that you're able to talk about God's attribute of... So it's only, so to speak, from our perspective when God creates the world through the ten Sfirot and he animates the world and he conducts the world and leads the world and runs the world through the ten Sfirot that we can talk about God's attribute of wisdom. But from God's point of view, the wisdom and God are inseparable. What wisdom? What understanding? What knowledge? What compassion? It's all part of the infinite essence of God. This chapter, he's taking it, he's taking it a, a step further. And he described, he ended up describing in the last chapter that each day of creation actually represents another attribute of, another divine attribute. And this chapter he's going to describe that we know that God created the world through the ten utterances. And utterances, he already described earlier, this is like the lowest of the ten svirot, of the ten divine attributes, the lowest and the last one is the attribute of speech, of royalty, of speech, of communication, which is different than all the other nine attributes. The other nine attributes are more internal. The attribute of communication, of speech, of royalty, is basically a relationship outside of yourself. It's totally outside of you. You don't need to speak for yourself. You speak to others outside of you. So you communicate what's going on inside of you to others. If there's no one else, if you're Robinson Crusoe, you're all alone, there's no, there's no one to talk to, there's no need to speak. Can we go over the attributes? Okay, there's the attribute of, of wisdom, chachma. First one is chachma, wisdom, creativity. That's the window to the subconscious. That's the, it's easy to understand from ourselves because we are created in the image of Hashem. We created the image of God. So our basic makeup of our personality is also made up of ten kochot ha-nefesh, ten uh, aspects of our soul. They represent the Godhead. They represent the ten spirot. So you have basically categories. You have two basic categories, the brain and the heart. And then you have the expressions of the heart. And that's in the brain itself. You have three brains. If you want to get more specific, the right brain, the left brain, and the integrative brain. So you have the creative, creativity, the eureka, and then, you know, intuition. Then you have the analytical mind, the left brain, bina, comprehension, understand, understanding. Then you have dat. Dat is like in the biblical, biblical knowledge. Dat is when you know something intimately, when you, know, when you personalize it, when you integrate it, integration. That those are the three attributes, the first three attributes. Then you have the link from the brain to the heart, to the neck, the very narrow link, very narrow highway, one, a one-lane road. That's why it's so difficult to, to move from the mind to the heart. If we lived by everything we understood, we would all be much better off. But it's, it takes, it's very difficult to translate what we know into our heart, into our emotions, to personalize it. So that goes through the narrow neck. That's the problems we have with the neck. Sometimes you need a good chiropractic adjustment, a spiritual adjustment to get from the brain to the heart. Then you have the heart. So the heart, you have the three basic emotions. You have love, love, 
love, uh, um, attraction. Then you have strength or being or repulsion. You know, you love or you hate or you hate. And then you have compassion. So these are the basic three emotional attributes. Then you have, this is the body of a person, the brain and the heart. You can't live without a brain, you can't live without a heart. Then you have the legs. The legs are not a luxury, but they're an auxiliary. You know, you can live, uh, unfortunately, that people live without legs. But legs carry the body. You have the right foot and the left foot. The right foot, that's like ambition, drive, competitiveness, the will to win, to be number one. These are already auxiliary expressions, emotions, and attributes, ex- expression of, of love. You're attracted to something. You, you, and it expresses by you have a, a drive, a motivation, ambition. Then you have um, the left leg is the ability to restrain. It's more subtle, more quiet. It's the ability to endure, the ability to, um, you know, quiet humility to endure and, you know, it's like a, a persevere. You know, it's like a difference in the entrepreneur. Entrepreneur is more the right leg, is the competitive streak to win, to be number one, to do something creative. So that, that's all the right side, the right brain the right heart, the love, and the right leg, all from the same flavor. And usually the entrepreneur gets bored. Once he starts his company and he started it, the novelty is gone, he's bored, and he moves on to other things. He doesn't have the perseverance or the humility to endure. To It's a different quality. It's a whole different quality. It's like the analytical quality. Analytical quality, is, it's a different quality than the, the excitable... Uh, creative genius and intuition and you know this is much more subtle much more so it's it, this is the auxiliary of that part of the, 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 the left brain and strength and restraint and the left leg which is also to endure and to overcome and then you have uh, yisoid which is uh, corresponding to the male organ and that's the connection that um that's charisma, that's the personal connection, that connects all other parts of the body, to, you know, it brings it all together, like integrates it all together. And, um, and then you have the feminine aspect, which is speech, royalty, dignity, being, and communication, which is really where the person steps outside of himself. That's like the sales, we actually make the sale. The first, first nine is all within the person. Your mind, your heart, how you relate to others, but it's you. It's you, how you relate to others. Do you love? Do you hate? Are you attracted? Are you repulsed? Do you have compassion? And then you have the... It's all how you relate to others, but it's still you. Speech is when you leave yourself, you step outside of your own shoes, and you step in someone else's shoes. You get into someone else's mind. That's communication. When do you communicate? When you get into someone else's mind, when you speak their language, when you forget yourself. And it takes a tremendous humility. Tremendous humility. Much greater than the humility of, of the creative person. The creative person also has a humility. Because to be creative, you have to be open, you have to, be, you have to listen, you have to be receptive. You have to go out of the box, think out of the box. You, know, you have to be a very spiritual person, a person who's, 
who feels comfortable to be vague and fuzzy and open to something new, um, to the subconscious. But nevertheless, the humility that you need for communication is, is an entirely of a different quality, of a different nature. Because you really have to step outside of yourself. The creative person is really all about yourself. That's what the creative person, the creative person could be very satisfied once you've created a work, piece of art, a work of art, and let's say no, no one buys it, no one is interested. Okay, but you're satisfied. You have your satisfaction. You know that you came up with a brilliant piece of work and maybe, maybe the audience hasn't been born yet. But your satisfaction is there. If no one buys it, it's, you know, what do you care? You would like, you would be interested if people buy it, but, but your satisfaction is over with you and you move on to the next project. The business person, he has to, he has to sell the product. He knows if he's not moving, if he's not moving and, and no one is buying... Then, then, then he's out of business. He's really focused on you. So in a certain sense, it's a, very, it's a great level of humility. Forget about yourself. And step inside someone else's mind. Step in someone else's shoes. How does the other person perceive it? How does the other person understand it? If the other person doesn't buy it, the other person doesn't buy into it, the other person doesn't appreciate it, then if there's no communication, I don't exist. If I'm not communicating and there's no one receiving, I don't exist. And this is the deepest need within a person. Communication. That's why we find that the writer... Needs an audience. Why does the writer need an audience? Why does he care if someone buys the book or doesn't buy the book? He needs an audience. And the more creative the writer is, the, 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 the more he, he yearns, he hankers for an audience. The musician. Why does the musician sit and play music behind locked doors in his own home? He needs an audience. And the greater the musician, the greater the audience he needs. The teacher needs students. The business person needs customers. The person needs a marriage partner. Because it's not you. It's forgetting about yourself. It's, it's only when you communicate with another person, when you're validated by someone outside of you, it's only then that you truly become whole, that, that it touches the deepest place within you. So although it appears to be that communication is very superficial, what do I need to communicate? Let me lock myself up in a monastery. Let me, let me live a solitary life. Why do I need to speak? Matter of fact, the entire uh, religions that, they, they don't speak. They don't say a word. You know, certain monasteries. Reminds me of the story. Someone came to the monastery and you were not allowed to speak a whole year. At the end of the year, you got to say two words. So at the end of the first year, the person comes and he walks by the, the, the monk, the head monk. And he gets two words. He says, floor cold. Anyway, another year goes by. He passes by the head monk again. He says, food lousy. <laughs> After the third year, he passes by the head monk and he says, I quit. <laughs> so the head monk says, goodbye, good riddance. Since you've come, all you've been doing is complaining. <laughs> but, but see, but that's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is not celibacy. The Jewish way, that's not an ideal. As a matter of fact, it's frowned upon in Judaism. The Jewish way is communication. Community. Stepping outside of yourself, forgetting about yourself. So why do they say silence is gold? But speech, it says, it says speech is worth one dollar $1 and silence is worth two dollars. But the difference is if you're silent, you could be silent all day, it's still only worth two dollars. Every word that you speak, if it's golden words, if it's words that are meaningful, those words are priceless. So... Judaism is communication. Hashem speaks to us. God created the world through the Word. The Torah is words. We have to teach, we have to learn, we have to interact. Communication. 
We don't live in isolation. You need a minion. You need a community. A Jew can't live alone. It's not the greatest ideal is not to live a solitary monkish life, to go on a Tibetan mountain and, 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 and meditate for the rest of your life. No. It's only with communication when you forget about yourself that you touch the deepest place inside of yourself. It's paradoxical. The moment you forget about yourself, that's when you find yourself. The deepest satisfaction is when someone receives what you have to give. When you communicate, the satisfaction in communication is so profound. That's what marriage is, communication. When, when you find yourself validated in someone outside of you, it, it, it touches the deepest place inside of you. And the same is in every, the whole life is that way. The whole life is, is communication. If you think about it, it's all about communication. We need the customer to buy it. Who makes you successful? You make yourself successful? You don't make yourself successful. It's the customer who makes you successful. It has nothing to do with you. You're almost incidental. <laughs> it's the customer who makes you successful. And smart business people never forget that. They don't read their own press releases. And they don't, and they don't get caught up in their own uh, hype. They're, they're, the customer is brutally honest. The customer is not going to lie. It doesn't delude. The customer is honest. So if a person really wants to know what the score is, listen, pay attention to... Forget about yourself. Listen outside of you. So communication on one hand appears to be superficial, but on the other hand it's really the deepest place. However... Communication is also the source of all sorts of problems and troubles, as we see in our day and age. Because people could misunderstand communication. We have a phenomenon today that we've never had before. Never had before. And it's, it's an artificial phenomenon. It's almost a sickening phenomenon. Where communication became, could become an end in itself. Where people live just for publicity. I don't care what, just talk about me. I have no principles, I have no convictions. I take polls, I listen to what other people say, and that becomes my position. I morph into any position I speak to. As some president we had recently, the last person you spoke to, that, that becomes me. As Zelig, Woody Allen's character. And that's an illness, that's a sickness. And we see that it has infected every strata of society. And it's a, it, it makes you ill. It has totally affected the, the holy land of Israel. Where instead of principles, convictions, integrity, everything today is polls and politics and, and, and what's popular. And that's not what communication is. Communication is very powerful. But communication is only powerful if it communicates something authentic. If communication becomes an end in itself, it becomes totally destructive and negative and empty and meaningless and skin deep. But when communication, when you communicate the truth, when you communicate the highest common denominator, there's nothing more powerful. And sometimes it's very difficult to do. Because it means you have to really work hard to take the essence of the deepest depth of the most genuine truth and to be able to communicate it to, to, to the masses without compromising and diluting the message. That's communication. That's real. And that's genuine and that's powerful. There's nothing more powerful than that. So on one hand, communication, you asked if all the spheres are the same. 
Communication is, in, is entirely different than all the other spherot. Because the other first nine spherot are all almost self-characterization. It's all about you. It's my mind, my comprehension, it's my heart. It's my, even my, my ambition. It's all about me, how I relate to others outside of me. It's my charisma, my connection. Communication is all about the other person. However, in holiness, the attribute of malchut is connected to the first nine spherot. So what it's communicating, but it's communicating the divine. It's communicating something divine, something authentic. Then there's nothing more powerful than that. Then God creates the world with his communication, with his speech. But, but it also becomes the source of negativity. Because when it becomes something external, disconnected from within, when people have no genuine feelings, I have to take a poll to know what I think. Hello? Are you for real? Are you some robot? Are you a real person? You have no feelings? You have no genuine response? I have to decide what, what I'm going to... What, how I feel? I have to pick a poll group or focus group to figure out what I feel? I mean, it, this is not a real person. This is a, a, a caricature of a person. And that, that's what has become reduced to. And that's why it's so forgettable. That person is so forgettable. Yeah, there's nothing to communicate. There's nothing genuine here. So that's the danger of communication. Communication could be a total cutoff, a total disconnect. Words without, without any mooring, without any foundation, without any underpinning. But when the words are connected to the root, the words are connected to the source, and they communicate something genuine, something from within, something powerful, something profound, something meaningful, there's nothing more powerful than communication. Not many people understand this. But we do live in the communication age. This, is, this is characterizes our age. We are in the communication age. If you don't communicate, you don't exist. In today's world, if you don't communicate, you simply don't exist. And it's correctly so. Because communication is not just a detail. Communication touches on the very core and essence of what a person is all about. Why? God created the world because it's all about communication. God, so to speak, stepped outside of himself. And created a world, a perspective that's separate from him. That feels separate. That has an ego, an I, independent being. And God wants to communicate to us. How do we relate to God? How does an outsider relate to God? How do we see God? God knows how he sees himself. But he wanted someone outside of him, so so to speak. How, How do we see God? How do we relate to God? So the whole purpose of creation, the whole reason for creation is because God wanted to have a relationship. God wanted to communicate. God wanted to be a king. And that's why that touches in the very core and essence of what life is all about in this world. It's all about communication. That's why this world is a marketplace. The Hebrew word for Canaan, the land of Israel, was formerly Eretz Canaan, the land of Canaan. What does Canaan mean, Canaan? To buy. It's a marketplace. And the mission of a Jew is to take, transform this marketplace into Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKodesh, a holy land. Because the fact that the world is a marketplace is not a negative thing, it's a very powerful thing. God created the whole world, everything in the world is a marketplace. You give, you sell, you buy, you take. It's all about communication, you need someone else. And it's a brutally honest place. Ironically, this world of lies, the marketplace is a brutally honest place. Your customers will never lie to you. They have no interest in lying to you. 
if, if your product is no good, they'll leave in a second. They'll click you off. On the internet, they just click off. Goodbye, I'm not interested. I'm out of here. You can't, there's no hype, and there's no baloney, and there's no uh, buttering up or delusions. You're, you're, you're gone in a moment, in a second. You won't even look your way another second. So in a certain sense, it's very brutal. But on the other hand, it's a very honest, it's a very honest thing. Because your ego only colors your own. It only colors our own, our own self. We can't be honest about ourselves. But other people, we can be brutally honest about other people. We have no, we have no reason to lie. Other people can be brutally honest about us. So the fact that the world is a marketplace, really this world has tremendous potential. It's potential to become a holy place. When a, when a Jew realizes that communication is something very powerful, and community, and connection, and if you utilize it in the right way, there's nothing more powerful. It amplifies. When you communicate, it amplifies whatever is going on inside of you. It amplifies it a thousandfold. If you have an idea, but it sits in your head, and then you teach that idea, it, it amplifies the concept a thousandfold. As the rabbis say, I learned a lot from my teachers. I learned even more from my colleagues. But you know who I learned the most from? My students. Because when you have to communicate to someone else, it clarifies, it opens up fountains of wisdom. Things you had no, never had the idea. And if you would never have taught, if you would never have communicated, you would never ever in a million years. You can sit and meditate for a million years. You would never think of those ideas. It's only when you start communicating that suddenly it amplifies it. It takes it to all different levels. That's why in today's day and age, when businesses, everything is about communication, I mean, the world has exploded like the world has never seen before. A, a, a thousandfold. Commerce is a thousandfold because that's the power of communication. It's so powerful, it's beyond belief. And everyone knows it from his own personal experience. When you speak about something, communicate it, it just opens up something inside of you that you are limited. On your own, you could never, ever achieve it. It's only when there's a receiver and there's a connection and there's a contact between you and someone on the receiving end, the seller and the customer, the teacher and the student, the, 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 the rich person and the poor person is receiving the tzedakah, that it just opens up something inside of you that you could never, ever, ever achieve it on your own. That's why in marriage, you're, it touches the infinite. You're able to become partners with God in creation. No matter how, much, how, how perfect you are, you can't marry yourself. It's when you forget about yourself. It's you and someone else. Together, you can create infinite. You can become infinite. So, this is the power of communication. This is the essence of a Jew's mission in life, is to take, transform, Canaan, Eretz Canaan, the land of Canaan, which is all about business, and could, could mean a, a brutish, nasty place. On the other hand, to transform into Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKodesh, a holy land. To take the good things out of it and realize the power and the potential that we have in this world, this world of communication, this world of relationships, this world of marriage, this world of connections, of community, etc. So this is the svira of malchut. Malchut is the svira of speech and communication. And it's with this attribute of royalty, of speech, it's with this attribute that God created the world. Because again, the first nine svirot are more characterizations of God himself, so to speak. God's love, God's intellect, God's understanding. So you don't really have a relationship to anything outside of God. It's only with God's ability to communicate and God's desire to be king that brings about a world that's outside of God. 
with that attribute, God creates a world that's, so to speak, outside of Him, that feels separate from Him, that feels disconnected from Him. And therefore, we're able to have a relationship and we're able to create this communication and this, this connection. So the entire creation really comes about through God's speech. That's what we mean in the Torah. That's what the Torah means, that God created the world with ten utterances, ten speeches. It doesn't mean that God has a mouth and God physically speaks. But the Torah is giving us an analogy, because just like speech, speech is what communicates to something outside of, of us, so too it's God's attribute of speech that creates the world. So the difference between God's speech and our speech is when we speak, nothing happens. We just communicate, convey to, to, out, to others. When God speaks, He actually creates. His speech creates. His speech brings, brings us into being. He creates something outside of Him. Because who is God speaking to? God has no one to speak to. There's no one to speak to. There's nothing other than God. But God's speech has the ability to bring an entity that senses itself as being outside of God, that senses itself as being separate from God. So God's speech creates the world. So the fact that God's speech has the ability to create, right, it's because, explain that in a second, it's because, right, because the, um, it's because the divine speech is divine. And God has the power to create. So even divine speech also has the power to create. Not only God's attributes, his emotional attributes and his intellectual attributes, so to speak, are one with God, but even his speech and his words and the letters and, so to speak, the breath of his mouth, so to speak, which is all part of speech, all of that is divine. All of that has the ability to create and does create the whole universe, the whole known universe. Physical universe, spiritual universe, material and spiritual. So although speech is different than the emotions in the mind, even within a human being, you can't, you can't compare speech as just letters. Speech is just words. What's speech? There's nothing creative in speech. There's nothing new in speech. Speech is just a vehicle. Speech is just a, a, a vehicle to convey what you're feeling and what you're understanding. You're conveying to someone else. How does someone know what you're feeling? You, you, you tell them. You speak. You communicate. Words itself are almost inert. Words are like, are like a stone. They don't grow. Words are just a vessel. You can put anything inside the word. You can put it into your car. You can put a, a healthy person. You can put a sick person. You can put anything in it. It's just whatever you put into. The same words I can use for holy things. I can communicate something holy. I can communicate something, something nasty. I can communicate something absurd. It's the same word. Words, words are just a vehicle. Whatever you put in, Words have no personality of their own. Words have no character of their own. Words are just a vehicle, a vessel. So words are very skin deep, are very superficial on their own. Words are just a communication, just a vessel, a vehicle that you can hold a content, that can hold a concept, or hold an emotion, and you transfer it to someone else. So words are external to the person. That's why I can change words. I can't change emotion so quickly. If you love, you can't suddenly not love or suddenly hate. It's very difficult to change emotions or change attitudes or change understanding. If I understand something, I understand it. You can't suddenly not understand it because that's, that's something that's, that's genuine. It's part of your personality. You can't suddenly change it. Change is possible or it's very difficult. Words are interchangeable. It's like, it's like a set of clothes. I put them on, I take them off. 
I can change clothes three times a day. I can, put, I can use colorful words. I can use uh, conservative words. I can use, I can use uh, expressive words. I can use, I mean, words are, because words have no personality and character of their own. Words are just a vehicle. Whatever you put inside of it. So words are very external to the person in comparison to the emotion and to the, and to the intellect. So too, that's true within us, and the same is in, in, is in the divine. That the attribute of royalty in comparison to the other nine is something very external to God. It's just the words and the letters with which God creates the whole universe. How can you compare that to God's emotional attributes, which is the content of creation? As we explained in the last chapter, every day has a different emotional attribute. Every day contains... God expresses another emotional attribute every day of the week. The first day of the week, God expresses the emotional attribute of love. That's why God created light. Sunday has a special attribute of love, of kindness. Monday, God separated the heavens. It's an attribute of strength, of restraint, of judgment. The third day is an emotional attribute of compassion. That's why the third day is doubly blessed. One of our biggest supporters, he, all his business deals, he closes on Tuesday if, he's, if he can. Because it's a doubly blessed day. Because that's the emotional attribute of God's compassion, which is a very powerful attribute. Every day has its... its the fourth day is, is competitiveness, overcoming obstacles. The third day is endurance. The fifth day is Thursday is endurance. The sixth day is connection. And Shabbos is Malchus. Shabbos is the feminine. Shabbos is the Shechina, being, presence... Um, the, the royalty, uh, communication, etc. So although the, the theme of every day, there's a theme, the theme of every day is the emotional attribute, but it's the words and the letters that convey these emotional attributes and create the different objects that were created each and every day. Like the words and the letters that create light or the words and the letters that create water which are all aspects of, of love, of kindness. <clears throat> so it's the words and the letters that convey God's emotional attribute of love and actually create an entity, a specific entity. Why a specific entity of water versus a specific entity of light? Because light has its Hebrew name, its letters, its shape. Mayim, the Hebrew for words, is another shape, other letters, because it's a different divine energy. It's this channel, the letters channel the energy, contain the energy, channel the energy, and differentiate the energy to give us a very specified, specific uh, entity. So the words merely convey and condense the, the emotional attribute. But nevertheless, within the divine, even the word, even the letter, even the breath, so to speak, that's behind the word, all of that is divine, is inseparable from God. So in the ultimate sense, there is no difference between the ten attributes. Even the last attribute, the most external attribute, the attribute of speech, is really inseparable from God, equally so to the highest attribute of wisdom, and, because ultimately it's one with God. And how do we see that? Because the letter has the power to create. God creates this physical world and the entire world and the spiritual world, all of the world, with the letters, with the divine letters and divine speech. So you see that it has a divine ability to create. Only God has the power to create. So obviously the letters are inseparable from God. It's God. God speaking. And it's God. And therefore it has the power to create. With the letter, the letter are the building blocks of creation. 
The Hebrew letters are the actual building blocks of creation. That's why your Hebrew name is so important. The Hebrew name of a person are actually the building blocks of your personality and your soul and everything that's going to happen to you in your life is all in there, in your Hebrew name, because that's the channel to your energy, that's the channel to your soul, to your personality, individuality, etc. Because that's the power of the Hebrew language. God creates the world of Hebrew language. There's no other language in the world like Hebrew. It's not a man-made consensus-based language. Hebrew is the actual building block. It's the channel through which God channels the divine energy and creates every entity has a name, a Hebrew name. Whether it's a name of the Torah portion, a name of a person, a name of an object, everything has a Hebrew name because everything has a divine energy. But, so this divine energy creates, like the word Mayim creates water. So Mayim, even though it's the, it's the language of God, it's the letters of God, so to speak, God is speaking these letters, so to speak, but, but it's God speaking. And, and the letters are inseparable from God and therefore the letters have the ability to create. They have God's ability to create. And that's what he's basically explaining in this chapter. That not only are the emotional attributes and intellectual attributes inseparable from God, but even the last, the tenth attribute, the attribute of malchut, of speech, which is so different than the rest, it's so external in comparison to the rest, even that is so inert. It's, like, it's, like, it's not like the others. The others are internal. The others, This is like something so external and superficial apparently, but the truth is, nevertheless, even they are absolutely inseparable with God and one with God and inseparable from all the other sphera. Yes? One more thing. This was great stuff that you explained. Uh, um, when you, you made a beginning of an analogy before uh, about a musician playing music and so forth. I was just going to say, is that like the old saying, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there, to know about it, then it kind of happened, but it didn't happen yet until someone would know. And also, uh, if, if, say I'm writing a letter, but if I don't send it to somebody, it doesn't have any meaning, right? I mean, whatever you do, you have to do something with it, right? Other than your own thoughts. Yeah, well, we, we, we all have a folder of letters. Thank God we never send that. That's <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's wiser uh, yeah. to vent and then just keep it in your drawer. So and why do we write it? It, 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 get it, it, it gets off your chest. But again, you're putting it in words. That's the power of writing. Writing is also letters, words. You put it in words and you express it, and, and it, 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 it gives you a certain satisfaction. Um, oh, my best letters are words I didn't send. So that's also a form of letters. Letters could be speech, letters could be writing. It's all a form of letter, a form of communication, a form of expression. So he's saying although communication is expression, but in this case, it's divine expression. And therefore, it's divine. Even God's expression is divine. Not only God's attributes are divine, but even God's expression is divine. Even His communication is divine. Even the words and the letters with which He communicates and the breath behind the letters, that's also divine. And they also have all the divine qualities. They're infinite, undefined, and therefore they have God's ability to create. When we speak, nothing happens. <laughs> Sometimes, thank God. Right? But uh, when God speaks... Something happens. He creates. His words, the breath of his mouth, letters, create. 
and they create the listener. <laughs> when God speaks, who is he speaking to? Who is he expressing himself to? There's no, one, there's no one other than God. There's nothing else. There's nothing. So who is God speaking to? There's no, God is the only absolute ultimate reality. There is no other reality. I mean, we, 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 are all dependent, we are all dependent realities. We are totally dependent on God who are being created each and every moment. We don't have a real, inherent, objective, absolute, independent reality. It's an illusion. It's an illusion of our ego that we're absolute and inherent and independent and, and on our own. But it's, it's a total delusion. It, we, we, we don't have any... We're totally dependent on God. God creates us each and every moment. But God is the only absolute, ultimate reality. So who's God expressing himself to? Who's he speaking to? There's no one to talk to. So what happens is that when God speaks, he creates the listener. God creates an entity to whom he can speak to, so to speak. To whom he can have a relationship to. And we can have a relationship to him. We're outsiders. We're separate. There's God and there's us and we have a relationship to him. We pray to him. He speaks to us through Torah. We speak to him through prayer. And we communicate with each other. He speaks to us through prophets. And we speak back to him, you know, from our, our, through our requests, our prayers. So this whole drama, this whole dynamic of communication and speech, of a relationship between God and us, is God who's creating this whole entity. There is no entity on its own. So God's speech and God's breath of his mouth and his letters, the Hebrew letters in the Torah, they create this entity. They create the, this, this whole reality. That's one of the ways of communication. Dreams uh, are paradoxical. Dreams are very powerful. Dreams could be nonsense, but dreams could also be very, very powerful. Um, communication from the subconscious, the communication. Uh, many rabbis who were puzzled, who didn't, couldn't understand a passage in the Torah or in the Talmud, they would go to sleep and they would ask a question and then the answer would come to them. It was like a mini prophecy. It's like a type of prophecy. Because the soul, when the person sleeps, the soul goes to heaven every night. And uh, someone who's had a meaningful day and spent the whole day deeply immersed in holiness and Torah, soul goes up to heaven and studies more Torah up there. And many times the soul remembers something of it, has an impression, sometimes vaguely, sometimes clearly. It depends on the person. So a person is very busy in his sleep. Soul is very busy. It's refreshing. It's replenishing. But it's, it's on a different level. Because you can absorb, when you're not limited by your ego mind, by your logical mind, you, you can absorb much more than you can when you are in a conscious state. So, uh, so dreams could be very, very prophetic. Joseph, all God's communication to Joseph was through dreams. God communicated King Solomon through a dream. Um, so yes, God can speak to us through dreams. It doesn't mean that every dream is a prophecy and every dream is a... Dreams have a lot of nonsense to it also. If you live, if the day was filled with nonsense, the dream is not going to be any different. Depends how you live. But there are two types of communications, or two types of worlds. There's a conscious world and there's a subconscious world. Because within speech or communication, there's two types of communication. There's like thought and there's speech. Thought, thinking, is also a type of communication. It's also words. You think. You're thinking. The only difference between thought and speech 
Thought is not part of your personality. Thought is external. I can think 2 plus 2 is 5. You can't understand 2 plus 2 is 5. I can think whatever I want. I can change my thoughts. I can change my words. I can change my letters. I can change... You can switch thoughts. You can switch channels. You can... So thought is external to the person. Just like speeches. But there's a difference between thought and speech. The difference is, you can't, A, you can't stop thinking. You can stop speaking. At least some people can. No. Emotion is internal. Comprehension is internal. Thought is, is external. I, I don't know what you think, so how could it be external? It's external to you, it's external. To the person themselves, it's external. Like, I, you can think 2 plus 2 is 5. You can't understand 2 plus 2 is 5. You can't change your understanding. Your understanding is 2 plus 2 is 4, I understand. But if I want to think, I'll choose to think 2 plus 2 is 5. I can think 2 plus 2 is 6. You can, you can switch around, it's like clothes. I can t- take on, take off. I can think whatever I want. You, know you, you can't understand whatever you want. So can't, I, love, either I love or I don't love. I, 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 I'm repulsed or I'm not repulsed. You can't play around with it. It's part of your personality. I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal. You know, this, is my, this is my... But you can't toy around with it. But clothes, I can put on white clothes, I can put on flashy clothes, I can put on conservative clothes, I can do whatever I want. I can think, I can speak, I can play around, I can switch. That, it's external. To me, it's external. The difference between th- thought and speech is thought is internal for me. It's external to me, but it's, it's internal that only I know what I'm thinking. The other person doesn't know what I'm thinking. And B, you can't stop thinking. But if you want me to know what you're thinking, you have to tell Right. That's speech. Speech, the only, only way the other person knows what I'm thinking is or what I'm feeling or what I comprehend, I have to communicate. But I can stop uh, speaking also. So within communication itself, you have two types of communication. An internal communication, like you communicate to yourself through speech, through, through thought. Thought is basically an internal communication. You're thinking to yourself, you're speaking to yourself. What's thought? Thought is you're speaking to yourself. That's thought. That's why you can change your thoughts. From negative thoughts, I can, I can switch the script inside of my head. Instead of thinking negative things, I'll, I'll change the script and I'll start thinking positive things. You can't stop thinking. But you could switch channels. I can switch clothes. I don't have to think negative. I can think positive. Um, Speech is more external. So from these two levels of communication, God creates the two different worlds. Remember, when God communicates, God creates the listener. So God creates two types of worlds. An internal world, a spiritual world, and an external world, a materialistic world. The internal world... That's like, that's, that's like thought. Thought is connected to the source. Thought is connected to the soul. Just like you, the soul doesn't stop, doesn't end, so too the thought that doesn't stop. Because thought is connected to its source. And that's why it's more quiet, it's more internal. And the analogy, the physical analogy of that would be like fish. Fish are connected to the source. If a fish leaves water, it dies. A fish is swallowed up in its source. A fish knows it can't live for a second without its source. It knows its source. It lives its source. It breathes its source. It knows without its source it doesn't exist. Versus mammals that are separated from the source. We all come from the earth, but we're not tied up to the earth. We're separate. We receive our sustenance from the earth, but we're separate. We're separate beings. A mammal is a separate being from its source. So too, God created the spiritual realm, the realm of the angels, 
which feel their source. An angel knows without God it ceases to exist. It's like a fish knows without water I'm, I'm nothing. The angel is plugged in. The angel is connected to its source. The angel senses its source. The angel is not separated from its source. There's no ego. Angels have no ego. Angels are totally connected to the source. There's no independence. There's no I. It's like a current of electricity that's connected to, to the generator. It's connected to its source. So those are the spiritual realms, the more intimate realms. That's like God's speech. God's speech, God, that internal communication creates an internal world, a spiritual world, a subtle world. And then through God's speech, God creates the external world, the materialistic world, the coarse world, the ego world, the physical material world, the world that we inhabit, in which our sense of I is very pronounced. We don't sense our source. We don't sense that without God we've ceased to exist and we're nothing. We sense very much, we sense we have healthy egos. We sense our self-preservation. That's the drive, most powerful drive. Why were we created like that? Must be a reason. Yes, of course. We were created intentionally so. It's not a maya, it's not an illusion, it's not like the Eastern mystics say that somehow it's some mistake or some sort of uh, hoax. We were created intentionally this way. God created us intentionally this way because, again, God wanted to have a relationship. God wanted to be a king. God wants to communicate. If all there is is God, who is he communicating with? There's no one to communicate with. God was lonely. He's alone. Even if you're God, you can't marry yourself. You have to have someone outside of you. So God wanted to have a relationship. He wanted to have a marriage. So he created the world outside of him, so to speak, that we sense that we're outside of him. We sense that we're independent of him. We sense that we are egos, that we're totally self-sufficient and independent. So much so that some people even deny that there is a God, even deny that there is a cause. And because he wants us to enter into a relationship with him. He wants us to, to view him and to willingly, consciously and deliberately, willingly enter into a relationship and speak to him and communicate with him and become godly and choose to recognize and to become aware that we are connected and we are swallowed up in our source and we are godly and to live our lives that way. Did God create us, the Jewish people, so that we could have a marriage with God? Right. Exactly. He created the whole world. Oh, okay. He created the entire universe, the entire world, and the angels, and all the sublime realms and the higher levels of consciousness and the entire universe was created because he wanted to get married. He you wanted know, to have I, a marriage. I never heard anyone say that God is lonely. <laughs> is that written anywhere? Yeah, that's why it says, it, says, it, says, it says God created the world. Why? The ultimate reason is because he wanted to be a king. He wanted to have a relationship with us. You can't be king over yourself. You can be, you can be a Robinson Crusoe. You can't be king over yourself. You can't pronounce yourself as king. You can be perfect. You can't pronounce yourself as king. You need subjects who willingly accept you not a dictator you're not a dictator you don't impose yourself on others but if they're subjects and they willingly crown you as their king then you become king so for whatever reason that's what God wanted that's what Rosh Hashanah is. exactly but, but is that word lonely well that's the idea of a king you can't be king alone you can't we don't know why God wanted it but that's what God wanted he didn't want to be alone he wanted to have a relationship he wants to see himself the way we see him it's very interesting to God how do we look at him? How does an outsider see him? God knows how he sees himself. But it's interesting to him, how does an outsider see him? How does an outsider become aware of God and enter into a relationship with God and live a godly life and, and express that godliness and come to the realization that our very substance is really godly 
the very substance of the world around us, everything is really godly. But we come to that realization on, on our own. If God revealed himself fully, nothing could exist. We would all be nullified. All there is is God. We would all know the truth. It's like in heaven. God is not king. In heaven, God can't be king. Because in heaven, he's revealed. There's no faith in heaven. What do you need faith in heaven? It's, it's revealed. It's transparent. Godliness is transparent. So he can't be king there. He basically overwhelms them with his presence. God could overwhelm us with his presence. Of course. <laughs> but, then, but then he can't be king. Then it's not a marriage. It's not a relationship. Therefore, God hid himself, concealed himself. Olam, the word Olam comes from the word Helem. God hides and conceals himself. So we have egos and we're separate and we're pronounced and we're independent. We, at least we feel that way. And we work our way up. We come to the realization. But the truth is he did reveal himself. He gave us a Torah. He revealed himself in Egypt. He reveals himself through the miracle of Jewish survival and existence. If you open your eyes, he reveals himself through the divine providence every step of the way in your life. If you open your eyes, especially a business person could see the divine providence, how God is with you every step of the way. Did God create the world, I mean us, because he wanted to be king or because he wanted to have a marriage? Like, you know, like when I get married, like my wife becomes my my right hand. So it's kind of like the people, his people are his right hand. Well, it's, it's almost the same, it's almost the same idea. Because a king, don't forget, a king is not a CEO of a company. A king, a king is not a president. It's, a, it's like a marriage. The relationship between a king, a real king, and a subject is like a marriage. It's 24-7. You become totally one. So much so that if any subject rebels against the king, he loses his life. It becomes a total, it's a total relationship. But the subjects subjecting themselves to their king and bowing down in front of their king and totally... You are our king. And he, doesn't, he can't force himself. Then he's a dictator. He's not a king. Then he's Stalin. Then he's Hitler. Look at a real king. Someone who's head and shoulders above everyone else. You know, Alexander the Great. There's someone a great a, a king. And the people willingly accept him as their king. It's a marriage. It's a relationship. He's, he's not king without them. And, they, and, he, and he's their king. So it's really... It's, 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 it's other words for the same idea. It's all about... A relationship is when you forget about you. It's not about you. Who makes the king king? Not the king. The subjects make you king. It's like who makes the, the business person successful? Not him. The customers. Communication is all about not you. It's about the listener. It's about the person who's receiving. Marriage. When do you get married? When you forget about yourself. You don't find marriage in yourself. You can go to therapy for a thousand years. You'll never find marriage. You just go deep, deeper, deeper into yourself. It's the moment you forget about yourself and you focus on someone else. You're real, the, only, the only person who can make you marriage is the other person, not you. The other person can make you whole. You can never make yourself whole. That's the re- realization of marriage. That's the whole foundation of creation. That God said, we don't understand why, how, but that's what God revealed. God said, you make me whole. I need you. Without you, I am not king. So, so the drama of life is very genuine, it's very real. This is not a game. Oh, God doesn't need us, but God is so perfect, but He's doing us a favor, and, or we're like His playthings, or we're like His... Um, we, we, we're, just the, uh, we're just the objects. He wants to do kindness, He needs us. We're just the props for His self-expression. No, it's not about creation, it's not about self-expression. The whole revolution of Kabbalah, the whole revolution of the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, the Arizal, is that God created the world through Tzimtzum. Not self, creation is not self-expression. A creative artist is self-expression. 
Creation is not about self-expression. Creation is about symptom. It's self-forgetfulness. God forgot about himself. Made a quantum leap and stepped outside of his shoes and stepped into our shoes. That's where creation begins. That's where creativity begins. That's where, the, that's where life begins. So it's, it's all about forgetting about yourself and focusing on, on the other person. Not about meditating and finding yourself and going to a mountaintop and solid, solitude and being a monk and a nun. And it's about you only become whole when you help another person. Communication, relationships, community. Is it true that we don't have prophecy anymore? Is it true that we don't have prophecy anymore? Well, it says the era of prophecy came to an end at the beginning of the second temple and um, well it says because the rabbis prayed that the they prayed for the abolishment of the idolatry of the evil inclination for idolatry it's hard for us to relate to it but just like we have an inclination a drive which drives so many people mad a drive for which is um, a drive for sexuality there was a drive with the same passion, the same power and force. It was a drive to worship. And that's why you read the Tanakh, you read the Jewish Bible, most of the, many of the generations were immersed in idolatry. Even though they saw miracles, there was a temple, there were prophets, and they just couldn't tear them away from idolatry. It was such a powerful urge to worship. It was powerful. So the rabbis prayed to God, they should abolish the inclination for, and God accepted but at the same time, simultaneously, the, end, the era of prophecy also came to an end. Because God created the world on equal balance. Every positive has a minus. So once they took away the idolatry, the urge for, for idolatry, they also removed from the world that intense divine spirituality that really dominated and prevailed over the Jewish people the first thousand years of our existence. There were a million, two hundred thousand prophets during that era of prophecy, the first thousand years of our existence. Not published for posterity, but a million, two hundred thousand prophets in that thousand years. No, but every, every other person was a prophet. They were, they were spiritually intense people, divine people. And that's when, when the rabbis prayed, that's when the Greek culture came about. That was the birth of the Greek culture, the mind, the rational. Up until that point, people were very mystical, people were very spiritual. But then what happens is, as we get closer to Mashiach, prophecy is coming back. As we get closer to Mashiach, with the revelation of Kabbalah and the revelation of Hasidism, and you know, the West found the East with a vengeance. You know, the whole New Age spirituality, the whole Eastern spiritual world, which was totally. And if you go back to the pre-Socrates and the pre, uh, the, the, to before the Greeks, actually the a lot of the language of modern physics, they find their roots in, that, in, that, in their philosophies because it was a much more mystical, much more spiritual, a much more genuine philosophy, by the way, because it's much closer to the truth. Modern physics, as the New York Times wrote in the magazine, in Sunday magazine, a few years ago, that the modern physics is beginning to sound more and more like the Kabbalah because all the, the deepest insights, this is something that, you know, the modern physicist is coming to the same conclusion. So we're going back to that pure, more mystical, more, much deeper, genuine understanding of reality. Um, 
so that, that's the cycle of, and when Mashiach will come, it says all Jews will be prophets. We'll all be prophets. Every one of us. And we are on the threshold. So, so uh, the world is coming back to a much more wholesome, holistic, wholesome, spiritual approach to life. As a matter of fact, the whole basis of modern physics is understanding the limitations of the ego mind. Basically, science today just claims probabilities. They don't even claim any certainties anymore. It's just probabilities. Descriptions, human descriptions, inadequate human descriptions, finite descriptions, trying to describe something that's inherently infinite, inherently undefined. So let's, let's at least make a little headway into the chapter. This is the synopsis, of the <coughs> theme of the chapter. Um, 973, yeah, you see in the middle of the page, the ten utterances. The ten utterances are also designated utterances only in relation to created beings. Since this is a term that relates to revelation, as shall presently be explained. For just as the emotive attributes of the human soul, when they surface in order to be revealed in a corresponding action, appear enclosed in the letters of thought, so do the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be He. For example, the soul's attribute of kindness and mercy cannot be revealed in actual deeds unless one first thinks about and contemplates doing an actual act of charity and kindness. For one cannot act without thought. It sometimes happens that before an emotive attribute finds its expression in action, it must first become enclosed not only in thought but also in speech. This is now explained. If a person, such as a king, commands others to perform an act of kindness, then the attribute of kindness and with it the letters of thought are garbed in the letters of speech. This is also the case when one speaks words of kindness and compassion to his friend. Thus it is through letters of thought or letters of speech that the soul's faculties and attributes are revealed. The function of letters, of words, are really just to reveal, to communicate, to reveal uh, what's going on in a higher, from a higher, to bring something, convey something from a higher level to a lower level, to transfer, to transfer the emotions into action, you have to go through speech. Because even though sometimes it appears that a person acts spontaneously, but the truth is there's always speech. Nothing happens without speech. Because speech br- breaks down the idea or you have to think, okay, I love this now. How am I going to get it? What am I going to do with it? So you have to think. You have to give it some thought. You have to put it into words and to break it down and make it, uh, to bring it down into action. So first you think. You, th- you think to yourself. And if you want to communicate to others, you want to command someone else to go ahead. So, you, so it has to go through words and letters. So words and letters are the link between the emotion and the mind and, and, and the action. So when we speak of God's speech, what does God's speech do? God's speech is the connection between, conveys the emotional, God's divine attributes, emotional attributes, and brings it into action. That with the letters and the words, with the divine letters and words, with the Hebrew letters and words, God actually creates and, and brings it into action, translates the divine emotion into action. For example, he's going to bring an example. How do you get from the divine attribute of love, how do you get light? 
We know light is the attribute, comes from the attribute of love. Everything in the physical world has a source, has a spiritual source and ultimately a divine source. Everything goes higher and higher and higher. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, many, many layers underneath it. So the source of water, water, for example, or the source of light comes from love, the attribute of love. It's, it's effusive. Light doesn't discriminate. It'll shine equally in a palace. It'll shine equally in a garbage dump. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it doesn't discriminate. Just like a nature of love. Love is giving. Love doesn't discriminate. Love is... Um, and water. Water flows down. Water is giving. Water is gentle. Unless you try to stop it. Water uh, finds the lowest place. Water connects. Glue. It glues things together. It connects things together. Water is nourishing. Water is nurturing. So you see that every, every physical object has a spiritual source and ultimately a divine source. That it comes from the divine attribute of, of love, of kindness. So it's like fire. The opposite. Fire comes from the divine attribute of strength. Fire breaks down, breaks apart. Fire takes an object and breaks it apart to its, to its essential components. Everything is basically made up of four basic elements. Um, earth, um, gas, liquid, and energy. So fire breaks, breaks it apart. That's why you have the smoke. That's the gas that leaves the object. It's moist. That's the moistness that's there. Please. And you have the fire. It's consumed by the fire. And what's left? The ashes. The earth. That's indestructible. That's, what, that's what's left. So the nature of fire is to crumble, to break apart. And you see the same also if you go, let's say, the right brain and the left brain. The right brain creative mind is more like water. It, it finds connections. The creative person finds connections in everything. Inherent connections. Seeks out the underlying assumptions and finds, finds inner connections, inherent connections. The analytical mind breaks it apart, takes a subject and breaks it apart. Components. You know, where's the beginning and where's the middle and where's the end and where's the introduction and what's the first step and the next step and the third step and the sequence and the logical sequence and step by step and, you know, fleshes it out. That's the ability to, like, fire, to take it apart, to... To, to break it down into, into components while the creative mind is the opposite. creative mind sees the whole. The creative mind is trying to see the bigger picture, wants to see what no one else sees, sees the, you know, what no one else notices. Everyone else, uh, you know, he sees, he's looking for the forest from, from the trees. And uh, the analytical mind is the opposite. The analytical mind is looking for the trees. It's the component, what's the makeup, what's the... It's two different personalities, two different types of people. So, so you, have, you see the attribute of fire, the attribute of water. Um, that's why some, some personalities are fiery, some personalities are very calm and gentle, creative types. And you have all different types of... Uh, so everything ultimately has a source. Everything in the physical world has a source in the spiritual realm and ultimately in the divine realm. But how do you get from the divine attribute of love, of kindness, how do you get water? Where do you end up with water? How do you get from here to there? That's through the letters, through the divine letters, the divine words. Which letters? Which word? Mayim. How do you get the light? Through the divine letters, the Hebrew name for light. What's the Hebrew name for light? Or. 
God said there should be light. We just read the Shabbos, and it was light. The letters, or they convey, they communicate, they bring down from the emotional attributes, they translate it into action, just like within a person. It's the letters that commun- communicate and convey another link between your emotions and action. You have an emotion, you love something. You don't just suddenly translate into action. A person first has to think about it. And then you have to bring it into words. And break it down. How am I going to do this? And and what am I going to do? And how am I going to get it? And once you have... So it may appear to happen instantly. But it doesn't. There is a process. An internal process. You must bring it down into words. Without words, we can't move forward. So words are the vehicle, the conveyance, that convey and that translate. The emotion into action. So that's also, that's a human analogy to God. When we say that God speaks, God created the world with the ten utterances, with the Hebrew language, with the words, with the letters, the, what's, what's, what does the letters do? What does the God's speech do? It, it translates from the divine attribute of chesed, of love, of kindness, it translates and creates its reflection. It creates water, it creates light, it creates all the entities that are a reflection of the attribute of, of chesed. So figuratively speaking, when the emotive attributes of the Holy One, blessed be He, reach the level at which their activity is to be revealed in the lower worlds, this revelation and the flow of this action are called an utterance and a combination of letters. For there can be no action proceeding from his holy emotive attributes without the immediacy of combinations which are called letters. Action can also result or be revealed from God's emotive attributes only when a number of particular powers combine to produce this revelation. For instance, for the creation of light from the attribute of kindness, there issued from it a flow of action and and a power with which to produce and create the light. The attribute of kindness is capable of producing varying results and various manifestations of creation, as shall soon be explained in order for it to create light rather than something else. The attribute of chesed must produce a specific revelation and a power and power whose makeup is such as that specifically light will be created from it. The flow of this power and this life force is called by the same, by the name of the utterance, and the combination of the letters that constitute the biblical phrase "Let there be light." Let's uh, let's pause here, and we'll continue uh, continue next week. Lessons in Tanya. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.